greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Sermon title this morning is the dichotomy of the kingdoms. Um, the word dichotomy, and the reason I chose this word is because the term dichotomy means a division or the process of dividing into two mutually exclusive or contradictory groups. The division or the process of dividing into two mutually exclusive. These two groups by their nature exclude each other. They are two mutually exclusive or contradictory groups. The dichotomy of the kingdoms. Uh oh. Gotta take care of that. I don't want to see my bill, Mr. Verizon. Okay. See, we have two groups here this morning. One to have their phone still on and one to have them turned off. <coughs> Being very practical, as Brother Mark says. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Brother Mark, I uh, owe you an apology from last Sunday. You did read the verse, I'm told. And I was the one that was out to lunch, I suppose, so... Uh, he, he was doing he was doing mighty fine and I was not so anyhow there we had two groups one listening and one not so I was informed at home in case nobody else told me that Mark did read that verse so. anyhow so a dichotomist is a person who dichotomizes alright so this is one step uh, so a dichotomist is a person that divides, decides what is one group, one group, what's in the other group. I remember as a, as a oh, let me see now, this would be 1962, so I was nine years old. My dad bought a brand new 1962 Mercury Monterey. Now, if you want to see an extravagant illustration of men's uh, ridiculous formulations of transportation, go Google 1962 Mercury Monterey and you will see a, a monster. I hadn't seen one in years, and one showed up in Lansing, somebody's front yard. And I look at that thing, and I said, I can't believe I actually rode in that thing. It was a full six feet from the back window to the end of the trunk. Full six feet. And the taillights looked like somebody robbed a drinking cup out of their wife's cupboard and jammed it onto the back of the car. About this big around, about that long, so kind of whatever. Anyhow, so we're riding in this brand new 1962 Mercury to church, and of course, it kind of puts you in a little different class. You know, the first Sunday to church in your brand new car, and and uh, you kind of secretly enjoy the fact that you've got the new one, and the other people don't have the new one. So you know, it's kind of two different classes here. And uh, so uh, we're, you know, we're going to church, and we're not trying not to be proud, and not trying trying not to be whatever. It's kind of humbly hoping somebody looks, and and whatever. And and we're on the way home. This is, I mean, this is not just little church like this. I mean, this is 400, 500 people. Like the benches are half again as long as yeah, probably from there to maybe beginning of this bench, and they're four wide, and they're like. 25 or 30 long. Okay, we're having 15 to 20 Sunday school classes in there simultaneous. 10, yeah. Yeah, 15 probably. 
Dwight, 15? Yeah. So this is a whole pile of people now. And uh, by the way, if you think our parking lot got, gets crowded in that church, you started in this uh, here and you, and you lined up and then this row lined up and you lined up like this across the parking lot and it was like seven cars wide and 15 cars long. So if you happened to be in the middle there, you just didn't leave whenever you wanted to leave. You leave, left when the people around you left. But anyhow, we're on the way home with this 62 Mercury. And don't you know, about a three-quarters of a mile away from church, this thing runs out of gas. Brand new car. Now we go from one class to the extreme other class. We've got dichotomy all right. We've got the cars with the gas, and we've got the cars without the gas, and we've got 200 people driving by looking why Meadow Martin and his new car sitting along the road. So if there's any pride to start with, it's certainly evaporated. We didn't like the dichotomy. And my dad certainly didn't like the dichotomy. And I don't know why, uh, I guess, you know, it's kind of the way it is. Somebody else should have put the gas in the car or whatever. But uh, I, I don't know. Obviously, probably somebody asked, and since everybody put, lived fairly close there, somebody probably brought us gas and we were on our way. But uh, we, did not, we did not like that dividing process at all. We somewhat enjoyed the original, but we just went from one to the other um, we were mutually exclusive kind of the way you feel when you're on the freeway and everybody's going 75 in a 65 mile zone so you kind of line in and, and somehow the other the Minnesota State Trooper decides to put it into all this at least make a show and he pulls you off now you're in a mutually exclusive group the one with the car behind you with the lights going around and everybody else is getting on the left lane kind of craning their neck on the way by. <clears throat> the dichotomy of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. This is what we're talking about this morning. This subject is not popular in our North American culture, in our world today. And I sometimes wonder how how popular it is in we'll say conservative Mennonite circle. Do I understand? Do I appreciate someone that is a dichotomist? And I, and I guess everything has its has its limits, and everything has its accesses excesses or whatever and um, uh, you have somebody that you know they look at the world black and white you know and everything there's nothing can fall in the middle it, it's either black or it's white and somehow or the other 80% of it ends up black you know and we kind of get tired of that and uh, nothing can be right seems like and uh we can, we can react to that. We, we can react to that. Uh, we say, well, he's kind of like the guy that uh, walked down the street with Limburger cheese on his nose and said, the whole world stinks. Now, everything's bad. Everything, whatever. Question, though, needs to be asked. Is God a dichotomist? Because every every problem that man faces, and we will have to admit that in our lives sometimes we face problems because we don't sort what's right and what's wrong. And it causes us grief. Is God a dichotomous? Does he separate right from wrong or does anything go?
we have in our culture what I call this big blender, and I threatened to bring one along this morning, pour water in it and pour vegetable oil in it and hit the high speed. And, you know, everything's going around and everything's going at such a high speed and you can't tell the oil from the water. But when the blender stops, it don't take but a few minutes. I actually tried it. It don't take but a few minutes and you find out what's oil and you find out what's water. Only a few minutes. When it all settles out, it's soon because one does not mix with the other. Is God a dichotomous? Is there anything in the eyes of God that is that is mutually exclusive? That cannot be mixed. And if they are mutually exclusive, if they by their nature exclude each other, then does God care about that? And if he does care, what has he done? Now, the Bible is somewhat vague as to what all happened in heaven before the foundation of the world. But there's enough there that tells us that somewhere along the way, in heaven, Satan rebelled. He said, I'm going to be like the Most High God. Before he did that, everything was mutually inclusive. Everything was one. Everything that was in heaven was one with the Holy One. God himself. But then we have Lucifer and pride entering in Lucifer's heart. Now, there, there, there's, there's, there's things here that I do not understand. And if you can clue me in, please clue me in. Where did that come from? <coughs> I have no clue. I cannot answer. That's further than my mind can comprehend that somehow in heaven, pride got in there. I will be like the Most High. And when he said, I will be like the Most High, he introduced into heaven a mutually exclusive element. That God said, it cannot mix. By its by its mutually exclusive character or nature, sin could not mix with the exclusive nature of righteousness and godliness in heaven. And so, God became a dichotomous and he said, this cannot be, it will not work, it is impossible, you've got to go. And he cast Satan and his angels out of heaven. So previous to the creation of the world, we must conclude that God was a dichotomous. He recognized what was compatible, what wasn't compatible. He recognized that it was impossible for them to coexist, and so he had to do something about it. In order to be, in order to be to maintain holiness, in order to be himself. He had to divide. Now, I don't know what all happened there. Because I wasn't there. But one thing, several things, is, it's obvious, among however many, 
was that there was another kingdom established. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of Lucifer. Um, we would say, well, Satan became a nobody. How could, you know, how could he be a king? But every kingdom has to have a king, right? Or else it's not a kingdom. So this Lucifer, this Satan that was cast out, Jesus recognized him as the leader of a kingdom. You find that in Matthew 12. You want to turn there. Matt, uh, Jesus specifically calls it a kingdom. Matthew 12 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Oh, I'm an NIV. Pardon me. I'm sorry. And there was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people that were amazed and said, It is, is not this, the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by the Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebub cast out devils, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So Jesus clearly recognized that there was a second kingdom established here. The second thing, I believe it became apparent to all of all present at that event that there was a new kingdom and that kingdom was a product of an attempt to be equal with God. And brothers and sisters this morning, I'd like to remind you and I would like to remind me that that kingdom has a huge agenda. This is not a small event. This is a huge agenda. This agenda was so huge that Lucifer himself was trying to unseat the God of the universe. That's how huge the agenda was. And the agenda, let's remember, is exactly the same today. This is no small, piddly, innocent, innocent incident. And it became obvious as this, this event progressed that that new sinful, evil, and rebellious kingdom was diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God and of Christ. They could not, it was impossible for them to coexist. And the sobering thing to me as I look at this was that every entity at that event could not be neutral. It was impossible to be neutral. You couldn't say, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to, I, I'm just not going to become involved. I am not, I'm just going to stay neutral. No, either you went or you stayed. One of the two. You couldn't beg neutral ground. Because God of heaven was the dichotomous. And when it came to holiness and when it came to righteousness, there was no neutral ground. Just think about that. 
Now, if you would, turn with me to Genesis 1. Moving into the creation. <clears throat> that event that I was just talking about, um, is the only event that I know that we can understand to any degree at all previous to Genesis 1. Now notice the dichotomy of God here in, in Genesis 1. <clears throat> in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God, together, come on, Divided. Let's say it again. Divided. Alright? Look for that word. God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters from which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. Dividing. doesn't say that's what he did. God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed in it itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and a tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw it was good, and the evening and morning was the third day. And God said, There to be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So God's also dividing day and night. He's dividing days, weeks, months, years, etc. And let them be for lights of the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to... Divide the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. In the evening and morning or the fourth day. God said, let the brothers' watchers bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life, the fowl that may fly above the heaven and in the open firmament of the heaven. So we see him dividing the creatures above the waters from the creatures below the waters. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, let the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, the beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw it was good. So he had a separation of reproduction. Cows didn't give birth to kittens. Kittens didn't give birth to elephants. Uh, yeah. God set lines there. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Over every creeping image that creepeth upon the earth, and God created man his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So at that point, God separated a man from beast in character and in authority. And God said, Behold, I have given to you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, Every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so, and God saw that he, everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, we see God dividing 
dividing, 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 dividing. Because it was bad? No. He divided. He was a dichotomist because he saw that there needed to be order or else there's going to be chaos. He was creating order out of chaos. If he didn't, the kittens might have trunk like an elephant and the elephant might like to have a purr like a kitten. And who knows when it was going to get day and who knows when it's going to get light. You can imagine trying to figure out when you're going to go to work and when you're not going to go to work. And whether you were going to go where you drove on the ground one day is going to be sea the next day. And, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't exist in all that chaos. So God in his love and his mercy and his compassion was a dichotomous. And he divided all these things up. And he made order. He divided so that disorder could take on order. So then we come with the creation of man. The only entity on the earth with the capability of being a dichotomous. We call it the power of choice. That's what it is. It's a power of choice. Man has the intellect to know truth and the ability to choose to either obey the truth or disobey the truth. Now, I didn't say embrace the idea of truth. I said obey the truth or disobey the truth. And brothers and sisters this morning, that is a huge huge difference. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. And the only reason why they're still a devil is because they don't obey. We have the ability to be a dichotomous to separate good and evil. The ability to align myself with the kingdom of God or align myself with the kingdom of Satan or Lucifer. I have that ability. I have that power of choice. I can do it. I have the ability to choose from right and wrong. I can have the ability to choose wrong and find myself in chaos or I can have the ability to choose right and I can allow God to change the chaos to order. I have that choice. I can take it, I can leave it. That, my friends, this morning is a sobering idea. It is a sobering concept and it has sobering effects in our lives. I can believe that when I follow God, I'm going to have order. I can deceive myself to believe that I can follow the kingdom of Lucifer and not experience personal and emotional chaos. I can try to convince myself, but it simply doesn't change the facts. That's the way it will be. Satan would want us to believe that we can ride the middle and we're going to get by, and everything's going to be okay. You know what? It didn't work for me, it didn't work for you, and it won't work for nobody else. Because the fact that evil and good are diametrically opposed, they are completely opposite in nature and cannot get along. He says to Eve, you can eat the apple or the pear or whatever it was, and you'll be all right. In fact, you'll be like God. Did it work for her? No. Which raises a question. 
if there are things that are mutually exclusive, they by their character exclude each other, how does God view those differences? And does he put forth any effort to remedy that difference? I believe this morning that God viewed the chaos in my life with compassion. What would our lives be without the compassion of God? You made your choice. You made your bed. You can lie on it. I gave you one chance. That's all you need. You turn it down. It's all over. What would it be like? God had so much compassion with the chaos in your life and this chaos in my life that he sent his own son to open the ability now he doesn't force it but he opens the ability for you and I to turn chaos into order now I didn't send God because I was so special folks always remember that he didn't send it. He didn't send Christ because I was so special. He sent Christ because I was so awful. He sent Christ because he saw the chaos in man. The self-inflicted chaos in man. He saw that, and he saw that without a remedy... For that self-inflicted chaos, that man had no way of putting that back in order. Because my sin made me exclusively incompatible with the holiness of God. Just simply because of the nature of it. couldn't do anything about it on my own. Because of the nature of the distance between the two and how they are absolutely, totally and completely incompatible. There was no way to bridge that. I was mutually exclusive or separated from God. Now, is there any way for me as an individual, you as an individual, to get right with God if I believe that God is not a dichotomous? Is there any way to get right with it? Absolutely not. If I believe that anything goes, everything's alright, it's just a mixture, it's just a product of somebody pushing a button on the blender and everything's going around so fast in our culture and I can't see the difference between the oil and the water and, and but we don't realize that when the spinning stops and everything's settled out there's still going to be oil If I deny the dichotomy of the kingdoms, the simple fact that they are so diametrically opposed, if I deny that, I also deny my willingness to get right with God. 
I will not experience salvation if everything's great. So now we're up against it. Are we going to address the sin problem? Or are we going to deny the sin problem? What are we going to do about it? Are we going to address the dichotomy of God? Or are we going to deny the dichotomy of God? Because the sin problem can't be solved without making that decision. I have to face the sin problem. I think it was the first time I went with Center City Evangelism in Chicago. We went to the black church and we parked in the parking lot and there was a and there was a car parked right in front of where I pulled up my van and on the bumper it said, If you can sin and go to heaven, what do you have to do to go to hell? That's the question. Now, you and I know we can't sin and go to heaven. But that just points out the ridiculousness of the simple fact of a people denying the dichotomy of God. I can deny the dichotomy of God and I can go to heaven. God doesn't care if my sin arrives up there. And if that's the case, what do you have to do to go to hell? You can't answer that question because it don't make any sense. When Jesus was questioned by Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou king then? Now, notice we're back to the kingdom. Every kingdom has to have a king. Pilate said, Oh, so you're a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Everyone that accepts the dichotomy of God and understands the difference between good and evil is going to embrace truth. They are going to live truth. Notice Jesus said, there's going to be those that hear, those that don't hear. The story is told in the Civil War. I think the North Blue uh, wore blue and the South wore gray. Is that right? The soldiers? Is that right? I think that's what it was. One side wore blue, one side wore gray. I know that. Anyhow, whatever it was, and this one guy, he just didn't like this whole war thing. And he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I got blue, I got blue coat. I'm going to swipe a pair of gray pants. And that, when I, that way, when I go out on the battlefield, ain't nobody going to shoot at me. Because I'm friends with everybody. <clears throat> Guess what happened? Everybody shot at him. You couldn't be neutral. You and I wearing blue coat, gray pants, thinking somehow it'll be all right. Turn with me to James four.
talking to Christians, from whence came wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war against your members? Now we're talking about godly people that got the blender going. You lust, you have not, you kill, you desire to have, cannot obtain, you fight war, yet you have not, because you ask not, yes, and receive not, because you ask amiss. You're acting wrong, you're praying wrong, that you may consume it upon your lust, your desires are wrong, your motivation's wrong, everything's wrong. It says you adulterers, notice this, you adulterers and adulteresses. <clears throat> How much tolerance for adultery do we have in our church? Think it'll go over big? Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God? Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil... And he will flee from you. James 4.4, 4, the J.B. Phillips translation, reads this way. <clears throat> you are like unfaithful wives. Flirting with the glamour of this world. And never realizing that to be the world's lover means becoming the enemy of God. Anyone who deliberately chooses to be the world's friend is thereby making himself God's enemy. Do you think that what the scriptures say about this is mere formality? We talk about formality. I never really thought about possibility. We talk about formality on our behavior. How about our formality in relation to what the Bible said? Do you think it's just saying this just because it's the right thing to say? So, did, so today, we not only have this issue of exactly what constitutes these diametrically opposed kingdoms, but we have the greater issue of what am I going to do about these two kingdoms that are diametrically opposed? Am I willing to humbly to humble myself and honestly search my heart as to which kingdom I love? And when I figure that out, am I willing then to make a choice in relation, the right choice in relation to that? So then the question comes up, how do I know which kingdom I'm part of? How do I know that? Well, for which kingdom have I made a difference in this past month? For which kingdom have I made a difference? Now, we cannot deny that we're not making a difference in this world. Every single person makes a difference, one way or the other. Okay? We can't, well, I'm just nobody, I don't make a difference. Da, 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 da. Don't get, don't, yeah, let's just get rid of that idea. We are making a difference. Okay? For which kingdom have I made a difference? For which kingdom am I making a difference? Second question. To which kingdom am I committed?
there's this little saying, and I don't know if I have it word for word, but it's on the bulletin board of Maranatha if you walk down the hall. The difference between interest and commitment is that if I'm interested in something, I will do it if it suits me. Commitment demands results and accepts no excuses. That's commitment. Commitment demands results and accepts no excuses. And I used this illustration before here, and I'll use the illustration again. Josh Harris's book, Dating the Church. He says, in the landscape of your life, he didn't say in these words, but there's a bone. All right? That's your commitment. That's your priority in the landscape of life. There's a bone. And that's your priority. That's what you're committed to. And you know what? Everything else runs around it. Just think about it. Nothing goes over that. You don't see the rivers going over top of the mountain. Everything else runs around it. These are interests. This priority. This commitment. This is where things happen. So in your life, in my life, what is running around what? we got to be honest. Something's running around something. What is running around what? Another question. What am I feeding on? Because what I feed on, that's going to grow. And what I quit feeding, going to die. That's simple. What am I feeding on? What did I feed on in the last month? Another question. What kingdom gets in my way? What kingdom gets in my way? Am I battling to keep evil out of my life? Is that getting in my way and I've got to keep working at it so I can get through? Or is, or is truth in my way? I just hate this because, you know, it's always in my way and the church is in my way and, the, and my parents are in my way and, and it's just in my way. I just want to do my thing and, and, and there, there, it's just all this stuff that I'm supposed to be doing and all this good stuff and, and it's just in my way. I just can't do it. I can't do what I want to do because God's in my way. My conscience is in my way. Church is in my way. See, one kingdom or the other kingdom is going to be in your way. It has to be that way. They're both not going to promote you. They're both not going to resist you. One is going to get you where you want to go, or the other is going to get you where you want to go. And you have to decide which one. I will end with a quote by A.W. Tozer. And he said, We are becoming what we love. We are to a large degree the sum of our loves. And we will of moral necessity grow into the image of what we love most. That is what I am becoming. For love is, among other things, a creative affinity. It changes and molds and shapes and transforms. It is without doubt the most powerful agent affecting human nature next to the direct action of the Holy Spirit of God within the soul. 
What we love is therefore not a small matter to be lightly shrugged off. Rather, it is of present, critical, and of everlasting importance. It is prophetic of our future. It tells us what we shall be, and so predicts accurately our eternal destiny. Loving wrong objects is fatal to Christian growth. It twists and deforms the life and makes impossible the appearing of the image of Christ in the soul. It is only as we love right objects that we become right. And only as we go on loving them that we continue to experience a slow but continuous transmutation toward the objects of our purified affection. Brothers and sisters this morning, I want to end this message on a positive note. The simple fact that God created us with the ability to be a dichotomous, that we can reject evil, we can embrace God, we can love Him, and we can have the assurance as we love and obey and follow Him, we become like Him, and the capability of the human soul goes explodes. No, we won't be God. But we can become like Him in ways we've never experienced before. And I want to leave that challenge to you and a challenge to me this morning. True. We get in trouble when we divide where God does not divide. We do. But let's make sure we do not neglect in our neglect being a dichotomous where God has has decided. Brothers and sisters, our future is bright. And God made it. He hates lukewarmness. But He loves when we're on fire for Him.